Well, we've come today to chapter 15 in our study of the book of Romans. So go ahead and open your Bibles up there to Romans chapter 15. And actually, now that I've said that, what I'm going to have us do is jump back on into chapter 14 of Romans. So Romans chapter 14. Um, and I'm going to start reading down in verse 12. And I'm going to go ahead and read my way on into uh, chapter 15 here this morning. So Romans chapter 14 and verse 12. So then... Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I want to pause right there and say, oh, if we could just grasp all of this right here and let it get rooted and grounded deep within our hearts. You see, we should be experiencing peace and joy in the Holy Spirit today and not bickering and biting one another over little things that don't really matter. But this happens sometimes as we walk through this life. Sometimes it's the little nitpicky stuff that gets us going at one another for one reason or, or the other, right? But like Paul points out back in verse 13 there, we should resolve not to stumble one another, you know, and just live like, you know, we're going to give an account for ourselves. That's what Paul is saying here. You're going to give an account for the way you live, the way you do things. And he's saying, don't cause one another to stumble. Of course, Jesus was the example of that. Look at verse 18. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So that needs to be our focus, edifying other people, always putting the other person before ourselves. Again, that's what Jesus taught us and what he sh showed us, right? Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles is or offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, verse 1, chapter 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. Now, that word scruples, as it's translated here in the New King James Version, from which I'm reading, came from the Greek word asthenema, right? Which means error arising from weakness of mind. So scruples there, that's what it means. It means error arising from weakness of mind. Now, we talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago, about the ones that are weak in the faith and think that their position in the Lord is based on what they do and what they don't do, what they eat or what they don't eat, right? Many people get stumbled up on that kind of thing, right? We talked about how there are weaker brothers and sisters that we need to receive as being weaker and we need to be patient with them in their personal growth in the Lord. And of course, each one of us here this morning is on a path of growth in the Lord, right? We're all growing in the Lord. We're all still growing in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. None of us will ever be to a place where we can say that we've arrived or we know it all or we have no more growing to do. That's not going to happen, right? But we also talked a few weeks ago about how the fact that there are people that spread false doctrine, right? And those that cause division. These people are the people that the scriptures tell us to avoid. But the Holy Spirit through Paul here brings it right back to the fact that when you are living for Christ, you don't go around doing things just to please yourself, right? But rather you're looking out for the good of others around you as well. That's how we are to live, right? The scriptures tell us how we are to live and not to live, right? Verse 2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So, you see, society today kind of will tell you the direct opposite of this. It will say, look out for number one. And who's number one? You are, right? That's what society tells us. Look out for yourself. You're number one. Get what you can get. All you can get all you can get and don't be concerned about the next guy. Right? But that's not the way us in the body of Christ should live, right? We're to be opposite of the world around us. We're in the world, not of the world. Right? When it comes to how we live in this world, we're we're the outsiders. We're not like everyone else. We're living in accordance with God's word. Verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So you see, again, who's our ultimate example? Jesus Christ, right? He's the ultimate example of one that did not please himself, but rather he put others first. And You know how the Apostle Paul dealt with this matter in his letter to the Philippians? Well, I'll actually show you. Let's go ahead and mark this page in Romans and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's to the right of the book of Romans, um, about five books, just past Ephesians. Philippians chapter 2.
And reading in verse 5, starting in verse 5. So Philippians 2, 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Paul tells them here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Now, while I was studying for this this morning's teaching here, I decided to go and read a few different Bible translations for uh, those eight verses that I just read to you there. And I came upon one translation offered in the, the New Living Translation. Now, I've not been a big fan of the New Living Translation, but after studying this particular eight verses here, I do like the way the New Living Translation uh, reads in, in, with these verses. And I'm going to read it to you here. The same verses I just read. It's going to have the same meaning, but I just like the way it's worded. And I'm going to read the same verses to you from the New Living Translation. It says, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. That's verse 5. Okay, I'm starting there again. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away from you, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your life, obeying God with deep reverence, and fear, right? And to me, that rightly depicts the life of Christ, and it rightly depicts the lives that you and I should be living as well. Selfless, selfless, not selfish. Others first, right? Focused on others first. That's the way of Christ. And if we claim to be followers of Christ, then we are to be examples of Christ as well. Now go ahead and turn back to Romans chapter 15. 
And I'm going to read verse 3 again, and then going into verse 4. So Romans 15, 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So Paul mentions there in verse 3 what was written actually in Psalm uh, 69 and verse 7, where it says, Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. That was a prophetic psalm, Psalm 69, that pointed to the Messiah that was to come, which of course is Jesus Christ. And what was written before not only applied to Jesus and his sufferings, but it applies to us as well. That's what Paul says here, that we can learn from it. We can learn from what was written in the Old Testament and what's written down in our Bibles, right? It's hard in this life to walk sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ by faith. And many people actually give up along the way. But we must keep in mind that we have hope, as it says here, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, as we see in verse 4 there. And that's why we go through the Scriptures like this. That's why we take time to sit down and look at the Scriptures, because we have hope in the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures. And that's why we should read our Bibles regularly, right? Not just when we gather here, right? Now, you won't need the patience and the comforts of the Scriptures, though, if you're not living like a follower of Christ. But if you are living like a follower of Christ, then you will need the patience and the comforts of the Scriptures. Because if we're self-centered and self-seeking, then we have our reward in a sense because in this world, it's this world that we're living for. So if we're living for this world, then, well, then you get what you get in this world, right? But if we're Christ-centered and we're Christ-seeking, then we're not living for this world. It's not about this world, is it, right? And we will need the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures as we go through this life. And verse 5 continues, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's pointing out here that if Christians would stay together, not bicker and fight with one another, consider one another better than the other, we would be an example in this world. We would glorify the name of God. But when we divide up and we're, we're fighting or, or, you know, or just saying, well, this is my denomination or this is mine or we're over here or over there, there's no power. There's no unity, right? And in order for there to be unity in the body of Christ, there needs to be a like-mindedness in regards to how we're living for Jesus Christ, right? So it can't be, it can't be just about our social gatherings or entertainment or things like that. As the body of Christ here on this earth, we're here to accomplish His will and leading others to the knowledge of Him. That's what it's all about. You know, the Scripture says, many people say, well, where's the return of Jesus? I mean, Christians have been saying this for years and years and years. Where's the return of Jesus? Well, Peter says, He's not slack. 
Peter says he's not slack concerning that promise, but he's long-suffering, and he's patient, and he's waiting for people to get saved. Well, if the body of Christ is an example, isn't an example of Jesus Christ, well, people aren't going to get saved. They're going to say, I want nothing to do with that Christianity, right? Because look how it looks, right? So, but that's why we need to be careful how we live and how we gather, right? Church gatherings today shouldn't be self-seeking and self-edifying, right? It shouldn't just be in-reaching, but we should be outreaching, right? And many people are leaving church gatherings today in droves because they want the simplicity of just knowing Christ, you know? And, and, and that's what we need to do. We need to know Christ and make Him known, being Christ-centered, being christ focus. But that begins in our own hearts as individuals, in the way that we live as individuals. Verse 7, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So verse 7 here is kind of the conclusion of what Paul said back in chapter 14 in verse 1 when he said, receive one who is weak in the faith. There should be a like-mindedness in the body of Christ not disputing over useless things, right? The body of Christ is one body, okay? Whether we gather in a building or whether we gather in a park or whether we gather in a house like we're doing here this morning, right? It should not be run as a business where there's competition in churches, competition on every corner to gain congregants or customers, whatever it may be, right? Many people are turned away from Christ because they're not seeing the simplicity of what Christ does in someone's life anymore, right? As individuals in Christ Jesus, we are to portray Christ and Christ alone, right? It's not about parading our church preferences or our music preferences or whatever. It should be the effects that Christ has had on our lives. That's what people should see. Verse 7 there says that we are to receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Well, how did Christ receive us, right? Did he give us a, a bunch of conditions and a bunch of rules? Did he beat us up before he received us? No, he loved us. And we're to receive others in love, right? So verse 8 continues and says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. So Paul there quotes a series of scriptures from the Old Testament that demonstrates that God intended that the Gentiles would praise him. So not just the Jews, but all people. That, I mean, basically the Bible classifies two groups of people. We break up into a whole bunch of groups of people here today, right? In this world, I mean. But the Bible classifies Jews and Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay? And the idea of God was is that all people would praise Him. All people would have 
the opportunity to come to Him, right? Anyone, anywhere. So we should be united in the praises of God rather than divided. Verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we gather together like this around the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, we can then abound in hope because the Holy Spirit will cause this to happen in our lives. We, are, we, were then, we will then be filled with joy and peace, which are fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? So there should be the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We come, we gather like this, and it just can't stay here all bottled up in this one place. We need to leave here and go out and live it. Anybody we come in contact with, share the light of Jesus Christ, the truth of His Word, right? The reason for which we stand, Verse 14, now I myself, Paul says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now, Paul speaks of his confidence in them here, but they still needed to be exhorted as we do. We need to be exhorted in how, the, how we should be living. Right? He knew that they had it in them to live it out, but he had to encourage them along the way to go and live it out, to exhort them. And that's what, what I do on Sunday mornings like this, is just exhort all of us to say, let's go live it, right? right? So whether it's we're gathering on Sunday mornings or wherever else we gather other days of the week, we should all recognize that that's what we're here to do, is to exhort one another on how we should live not just merely have a social gathering, but again, come to the place where the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures are working in our lives, right? And also to know that by His Holy Spirit, we're filled, we can be filled with goodness. We can be filled with knowledge. And, we, and we're also able to admonish one another, to encourage one another, right? So verse 15 says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written you more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So you see, Paul was called by God by the Lord Jesus, to take the gospel message of salvation to the Gentile world. Jesus told him that he would do that when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, when Paul had an encounter with the risen Lord. Verse 17, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Iquilium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So Paul is saying here that in everything that he has accomplished, he can't brag or speak about anything other than what Christ has done. 
through the Holy Spirit in his life. He has preached the gospel message of salvation wherever, wherever he went, but he knew it was all because of Christ and what the power of the Lord in his life had done. And verse 20, And so I have made it my aim to proclaim the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Now, these two verses here are often quoted and sometimes grossly misrepresented. Um, Notice that Paul is speaking very clearly here about preaching the gospel. Verse 21 is an explanation of verse 20. Paul is talking about announcing Christ to those who have not heard about Christ. So this morning, as we gather here, we've all heard about Jesus Christ and the the gospel message of salvation. You've all heard that message. So what I'm doing here in teaching the scriptures is I'm teaching them to a group of believers, people that have already heard about Christ. If next Sunday one of you wants to teach a Bible study to a group of believers right across the street here in the park, if you want, you can do that without offending me in any way, shape, or form, right? Believers are free to gather wherever and whenever they desire. Right, to hear the Word of God, to, to learn and grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. But many pastors today tell other pastors that they can't start a church too close to them, right? too close to where their church is. This is turf wars that go on in Christianity, right? And they'll use this verse to justify it. But this is a gross misrepresentation of these verses. Paul is clearly talking about the preaching of the gospel, where the gospel is not being preached. It has nothing to do with the gathering of believers. It has nothing to do with church gatherings and fellowships, right? It's all about the preaching of the gospel. Now, if a church is very well known for bringing in non-believers all the time and ministering to them, then I don't believe that another church needs to be planted right next door to them that's going to do the same thing, right? Right? If people are being saved by the moving of the Spirit and you want to preach the gospel too, then go somewhere where it's not being preached, where the gospel's not being preached, right? But we need to be careful to distinguish here the difference between the gathering of believers and the preaching of the gospel that Paul is talking about. Again, believers are free to gather wherever and whenever they please. And no pastor or Bible teacher has control over anyone else in this manner. Unfortunately, it seems today that most churches are not reaching out to believers and not to non-believers, I should say, right? They're not preaching the gospel, but they're rather just preaching feel-good messages, you know, in church, right? But Paul has covered so much ground with the preaching of the gospel and has seen so many fellowships built up out of the preaching of the gospel that he really had no reason to go back to those areas. Look at verse 22. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm out preaching the gospel everywhere. The reason that you haven't seen me come back to you is you guys are established already. Right? And I'm just reminding you in this letter how you should be living. 
And you also should be reminding one another how you should be living. You should be able to admonish one another, he says. But I'm preaching the gospel. So he's going to preach the gospel where Christ isn't named. Okay, But these church gatherings should be gathering everywhere. They should be all around. I mean, it'd be great if we had a church on every corner. You know, you go a mile here and you have churches that preach false doctrines every mile, right, that are big in this area, right? I don't need to name them. You know who they are, right? They, every mile you go, every mile and a half, there's one of their churches preaching a false doctrine, right? Well, we should have Christian churches every corner, everywhere. We shouldn't be having turf wars with one another and shutting churches down because they're too close to one another, now, let's go out and preach the gospel, but let's gather everywhere as much as we can, right? But he says, but now, verse 23, he says, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. So he's saying, yeah, you know, I've been doing all this. I've been busy, but I do really want to see you guys. I really want to see you. Whenever I journey to Spain, he says in verse 24, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. He said, in other words, he's saying, I want to come there. I need to move on, but I hope to spend some time with you and just enjoy the time that we, ha- we can have together. So he continued to preach the gospel along his missionary journey. And he hoped that they would help him out along the way and that he would be able to visit with them when he got there. Today, many people are called by God in different ways, right? Some are called to preach the gospel everywhere they go. Others are called by God to teach the word to believers and to exhort them to live for Jesus. And still others are called to support these people in their callings. Paul was a preacher of the gospel, And he was always looking for new places to do it. But he now covered so much ground, right, that that he was going to go to Jerusalem and minister to those people there that were already saved. Verse 25, he says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So Paul was now, had been given some funds, he had been given some money, some material things that the other believers gave to him to go and to support the saints in Jerusalem that had need, right? But these people of Macedonia and Achaia wanted to help the saints in Jerusalem. Verse 27, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in spiritual things. So there again, material uh, material things, sorry. There again in the body of, there's the body of Christ in action. A spiritual thing was being received and a material thing was being returned. Today, Many pastors fall into the trap of building these entertaining churches that please the masses because it's the only way that they can get a salary that they need. But this is not what was intended for the body of Christ. Paul preached the gospel without charge. He knew that 
He shouldn't have to do that. But people just weren't of the mindset that allowed them to see just how important it was what Paul was doing. So Paul said he worked with his own hands. He received what people gave to him. And he collected money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he delivered it to them. He took it to them. Verse 28, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, in other words, when he delivers to them this money, this gifts that these people sent, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Paul knew that even though he was doing this good work, he knew that he would be attacked along the way for doing it. And he coveted the prayers of the believers in Rome. He was striving to preach the gospel and to help the poor. And he needed them to strive right along with him by praying for him in what he was doing. He knew that if they would pray for him, verse 32 says, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now this concludes, right, the exhortational and instructional part of this letter to the Romans. From here, chapter 16 will, will mostly be Paul giving greetings to other believers. But we have found many things in our study of Romans up to this point in which we have been exhorted in this book to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. And I really encourage you to read this book again, right? And we've seen how the body is to function and how, you know, we as individuals in the body are gifted in various ways. And as we close here, I believe that one of the most important things that we can grasp is found right here in verse 33, and that is that the God of peace is with us. The God of peace is with us. Christ is in us. And the Bible says Christ in us is our hope of glory. As Paul strove to preach the gospel and to emulate Jesus Christ, we too should do the same in our everyday lives. Right? We've spent some time here now going through the book of Romans. And again, there's so much to learn. So much to learn in all the pages of the Scriptures. And and we need the comfort, the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures in our everyday lives. So I just continue to exhort you all to study the Word of God, to read it, to keep... It's a living, active Word. It'll do something within you that nothing else can do. And we need to keep our minds focused on the Word of God and focused on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank You for... This opportunity, this freedom that we have, God, to study your word. 
Lord, as we study your word here this morning, we do so with no fear at all that someone's about ready to bust down the the door and arrest us for it. Though we know that in parts of the world, Lord, China, for example, there are those that believe in your name that will die for it. And they'll be arrested for it and they'll be persecuted for just reading your word. Lord, just studying your word. But yet we have the freedom here in this country. We are blessed in this nation to be able to to read it, to be able to speak it. Lord, our nation is becoming hostile in a way against your word and against the things of you. But right now, Lord, we still have the freedom to, to admonish one another, Lord, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, and to shine your light in this world, Lord. So may we be a people that will do that, Lord. May we live this life to your glory and for your glory, Lord. Be exalted in our lives. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us and guide us, we pray. And we thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.